0: Hey kaiju fans, Emily here. Wanted to make a quick apology for the lateness of this episode. It's even later than I said it was gonna be when I first said it was gonna be late. I suffer from chronic migraines, which makes a lot of the work we put into the show difficult to do, but honestly, I could have organized around that better to make sure this went out on time. And for that, I am sorry. Going forward, new episodes should drop in the middle of the month. Thank you for bearing with us and enjoy the episode. Go Godzilla. I'm Emily Schmemmily. I'm Jesse Keaton. And I'm Victor Perfecto. And this is the show where we walk you through the Godzilla franchise. We really need a line to say that,
1: like a you know a line. Saying a log line. Yeah. Like this is the show that goes historically through each Godzilla film in chronological order. Yeah, we'll get that. We'll do that. We'll make it cleaner. Yeah. Six.
0: Okay. I mean, yeah. You say so. (laughs) Bring it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But what we do is we take every Godzilla movie and we walk you through where Toho was and and how and why that was the film that got made at the time that it did. We got a big lad today.
2: Yes. This is one of the ones. This is an important one. Would you like to
1: tell us about the film, Justin? Absolutely. Today we'll be talking about King Kong vs. Godzilla. Released in August 11th uh, 1962, this one brings our boy back. He is He's di- back. Director Yoshiro Honda. Conquering hero returns. Honda's back, baby. That's like, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I kept saying over and over again when we were watching the film together. We
2: watched the rest. Now we're watching the best.
1: <laughs> FX once again done by A. G. Suvaraya. Back in the suit of Godzilla is our boy, our Jima And
0: briefly, I learned in one scene when Godzilla escapes the ice, uh, our old friend Tezuka is back in the Godzilla suit oh, for exactly poor, one scene.
2: Poor. <laughs> Poor, forgotten Tezuka. Uh, hey, te- Tezuka, can you come
0: back for one scene? Everyone will forget it, and you'll be covered in ice. <laughs> it's like,
1: why do you all hate me so much? <laughs> <laughs> see. But also, in the role of King Kong, we have uh, Suichi Hirose. Uh, Shoichi Hirose, Hirose. The music, once again, by Akira Kube. Thank
2: God. <laughs> <laughs> My Shoichi Kube is back. Uh, unless you're watching the American version, but we'll get, we'll get to that. We'll
1: get to that. We'll get to that, yes. This time the script is written by uh, Shinichi, Shinichi Sekizawa. Shinichi Sekizawa. Based on a script by Willis O'Brien.
2: We'll
0: get to that. And like five other people. We'll get to that as well. We'll get to that as well.
2: <laughs> a veritable Frankenstein of a script, if you will. Oh,
1: we'll get to that point as well. Excellent
2: <laughs> foreshadowing, <Vic>.
1: Alternate <laughs> mm. mm. titles include The Return of King Kong in Germany. And the tribe of King Kong in Italy, because apparently they don't care about Godzilla. Well,
2: n- no one did at this point, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently, I will say,
1: Italy also likes
0: spoilers in their movie titles.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I will say as well, that shows you how big a deal King Kong is, because they didn't have to make the, pretend this movie was about Frankenstein in Germany. That guy was a big deal, a very big deal.
1: Hey, Vic, why don't you uh, run down what happens in King Kong versus
2: Godzilla? I sure as heck can. After hearing strange rumors of a giant monster living on nearby Faroe Island, the head of Pacific Pharmaceutical sends two men to retrieve the beast and compel it to serve as a corporate mascot. They arrive to discover the monster is King Kong. They put the ape to sleep with the help of native island berries, and meanwhile, an American submarine collides with an iceberg where Godzilla has lain dormant since 1955. The two keiju make their way to the mainland, one being dragged on a raft while he slumbers and the other awake for the first time in seven years. They wreak havoc, and duke it out while the wealthy executives responsible for the mayhem watches and denies accountability.
1: There's so much going on in that story. It's a busy movie.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about what Toho had been up to since Godzilla Raids again. First thing you notice just looking at this movie on paper, I would say, is the fairly large gap between the last movie and this one. Mm -hmm. Especially at the time, you'll notice that's that's not really the case a lot of the time. The sequels usually kind of come back to back to back. So what had been going on? Well... Godzilla Raids Again came out, and it was not the most beloved Godzilla film. Really? Time. Yeah. <laughs> Shocking. Hey, if you want to hear more about that, you can listen to a great podcast called Go Go Godzilla, Episode 2.
2: I hear those hosts had words to say about Godzilla Raids Again. <laughs> yeah. Or Gigantus. The final Monster. <laughs> um,
0: so Toho kind of took a bit of a break from Godzilla, but they were still making a lot of other kaiju films. Uh, in that seven-year period, they released a bunch of kaiju movies and other science fiction movies, which included, but was not limited to, Half Human, a movie that features a creature not unlike King Kong, frankly. Mm-hmm. I, I would go so far as to call it a creature legally distinct from King Kong. <laughs>
2: Similar to, but legally distinct from Yeah, King exactly.
0: Kong. Um, Rodan, big Woo! one there. Yeah, cheers for Rodan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mysterians.
2: Woo! There we go. Uh, Varan the Unbelievable. Never heard of it. Nope. <laughs> heard, uh, Varen, I, I, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite, uh, that's okay, one of my favorite jabs that I think a fanzine referred to the movie as Varen the Unremarkable.
0: There we go. <laughs> uh, battle in Outer Space, Mothra and Woo! Gorath. Um <laughs> cheer for Mothra.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> Mothra we, in this house, we respect Mothra. Yeah. We have to make that clear. Of course, yes. Uh, big Mothra
1: heads here. Battle mm-hmm. in Our Space has a score by uh, Kiri Kabube. That's,
2: Rad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And all the ones that I mentioned were directed by Honda as well. And a number of the other science fiction and kaiju films they made were. And they all featured some kind of combination of like Honda, Subaraya, Ifakube. Uh, the screenwriter who wrote this movie, Bruce Shinichi
2: Tanaka. Yeah. Uh, Tanaka, was in, all Tanaka of them. Boy.
0: Nakajima was in a lot of those suits. It's this kind of same rotating, like, casting crew of people making all these
2: movies. It's kind of maybe the first boom period for Takasatsu. Mm-hmm.
0: They're not making Godzilla movies, but they are making specifically suitmation Kaiju movies. Yeah. This group had kind of pioneered that on the mm-hmm. first Godzilla, and then they kept trying it out in different formats. And you can see where some of them are maybe attempts to recreate the magic of Godzilla a little bit. Uh, Rodan in the movie, uh, he has a move that is not unlike Godzilla's Atomic Breath that Rodan never has again in any of the other movies.
2: A shout-out to Rodan also for, uh, I believe Rodan uh, rampages through Fukuoka, which is the town I went to in college when I did uh, my study abroad in Japan. So always oh, wow. a soft spot for any appearances by Fukuoka. <laughs> nice. Um, so throughout the seven-year
0: period, they're making all these movies, and then they come back to Godzilla, and you might think like, oh... They're rusty, they haven't made a Godzilla movie in a while. Mm. But actually, it's it's quite the opposite. They had really nailed this thing down by the time they came back to Godzilla. And in fact, a lot of the things that are unique about King Kong versus Godzilla were stuff they had done elsewhere on other kaiju movies like it's the first Godzilla movie in Scope, but they had already shot a couple of those other movies in Toho.
2: Glorious, tohoscope. glorious Scope. <laughs> glorious Scope.
0: It's the first in color, but they had already been working with color on Moth
1: around a couple right. of
2: those other movies. And we will be seeing more than a handful of these monsters uh, in installments down the road. That's true. And mm-hmm. that's
1: a kind of a nice thing about these the Seven Year Child mm-hmm. and all these movies that you just mentioned is that this this helps further uh, define what the Godzilla movies will become later, mm-hmm. even when Godzilla wasn't in the, the
2: film And even what tokusatsu really is. Instead of getting rusty, it kept their knife sharp for when they came back to the King of the Monsters. And one of the things we hammered on about so hard was just kind of how rough Godzilla Raids Again was by sheer virtue of being not even a year removed from the first Godzilla movie. Yeah, but five months. N- exactly. <laughs> yeah. Again, they're making up as they go along, but it's also what they've made up immediately. And what they make up immediately is Line. That seven years of doing, of, of really kind of immersing themselves into Exatsu, now it's like a well-oiled machine.
1: There is a, another monster looming ahead. Mm-hmm. That monster is called America.
2: Listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially from American monster nuts who are so touchy about King Kong's place and so kind of crummy about, about Summation, There are thoughts.
1: And this is the interesting thing. So how does King Kong get involved into this whole thing? So it started with King Kong's creator, Willis Mm O'Brien, who pens the treatment King Kong versus Frankenstein, but is unable to kind of get anyone interested in producing it.
0: Yeah, this was kind of like the tail end of his career. He was Mm -hmm. old. I don't want to use the word washed up, but I will say a lot of the sources I read use the words washed up. Certainly desperate. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Uh, Producer John Beck then hires George Worthington Yates to adapt the treatment into a screenplay, which he retitled King Kong versus Prometheus. Mm still unable to find any interest in America. Yeah, That's how the script found its way to Toho, where it's purchased with the the explicit purses of just, they wanted to just get King Kong. Yeah, Tanaka
0: saw this as an opportunity to make a King Kong movie. Well, no,
2: and here's the thing too, and it's one of those things that breaks my heart, Tanaka, you know Honda, Subaru, a lot of them are actually really big fans of King Kong. So they see this as a big opportunity, which is a bummer because the Americans in hindsight can't have, there's always all this talk about, oh, we let the Japanese do this thing and d- and put King Kong in a monkey suit. And they're always so dismissive and it's a bummer really, honestly.
1: So, okay, once that deal came through, writer says, got, uh, is the then hired to replace uh, Frankenstein slash Prometheus with, well, it makes sense, Godzilla. Godzilla which has resulted in the final script. And it's interesting that it does sound like kind of like one of those things where when Toho got they were like, hey, let's just swap out Frankenstein and just bring in our famous giant monster. Well, yeah. I- actually,
2: here's a funny thing. You say famous, but really Godzilla's a rookie at this point. Toho's using an opportunity to take this up-and-coming new baby face and put him over with the established King Kong mm-hmm. to really make him a thing.
0: Yeah, it was also the 30th anniversary of Toho, and th- this year marked like a couple different banner releases for the company. Mm-hmm. So they, they kind of wanted to return to their big success, which was 54.
1: Mm-hmm. It makes
2: sense. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Take him off the ice, if you will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, quite literally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's so funny that the weirdly logical choice for King Kong's opponent is like, oh, Frankenstein, the other most popular monster in the world. And then we can't call him that, so call him something called the Ginkgo before he gets Prometheus. That's true. But once Japan gets involved, they bring Godzilla, and it codifies everything in a really beautiful way.
1: So this leads into what Toho wanted, right? First, they got Ishiro Honda back to direct. Toho wanted a more family-friendly Godzilla movie. Honda disagrees ideologically for obvious reasons. Yeah. We've kind of talked about that, especially if you go listen to our episode about 54 again, mm-hmm. and I, you could kind of see
0: why. You can understand, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, ever the company man, he makes the film they want anyway. So years after the film's release, he would say, I don't think a monster should ever be a comical character. <laughs> uh, the public is more entertained when the great King Kong strikes fear into the hearts of little characters, and this is uh, this comes from what the Peter H. Brothers? What is this? Uh, uh, I believe this is
0: quoted in the in the Peter H. Brothers book, uh, Mushroom Clouds and Mushroom Men: The Fantastic Cinema of Ishiro oh, Honda.
1: Thank you. So Honda takes the opportunity to satirize the burgeoning television industry, which he sees as lacking substance. And boy, howdy, sometimes history really repeats itself when a new <laughs> media comes into play. This movie is
2: weirdly prescient in taking shots at TV going for the lowest common denominator, and also taking shots at corporations and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quote from Honda, All a medicine
1: company would have to do is just produce good medicine, you know? But the company doesn't think that way. They think they will get ahead of their competitors if they use a monster to produce their product.
0: And that's from uh, our go-to source on this podcast, Japan's favorite monster, the unauthorized biography of the Big G by Steve Rifle.
2: Steve Rifle, in many ways, the invisible fourth chair. Yeah. <laughs> the Go-Go Gunsville podcast. What's up, Steve Rifle? Steve Rifle, if you ever hear this, yeah. Yeah. let us know. <laughs> Cheer, cheers, bud. Uh, but, you know, it's funny even to mention that, like, they're using King Kong to promote Pacific Pharmaceuticals. That's basically the plot of the 70s King Kong movie. Yeah. Yeah. Again, little credited. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So The film also uh, reflects Japan's changing role in the world. Uh, though the American Submarine is at the start of the film and a loose relationship between Japan and America in the first two films, the driving force between the film's conflict comes from uh, Mr. Taco's dog pursuit of economic growth at the expense of everyone else, because boy how easy a silly, man.
2: We talk, about there's literally one funny scene of Godzilla 54, and that's the bit at the Diet Building. And to have this movie have, like, Mr. Taco, who feels like he's wandered out of, like, a Marx Brothers or a Three Stooges movie, and he, like, he's all nervous energy. He's like a cross between Groucho and J. Jonah Jameson.
0: <laughs>
1: Here's something <laughs> I definitely want to bring up about Honda's directing in this <laughs> one. It's very clear one loves the Toho scope. Yeah, yeah.
2: Lush, lush Toho Scope. Beautiful uh, Toho Scope.
1: Two, loves the dolly. Yeah. Beautiful dolly shots in this movie. Yeah. It's every time, like, a really great dolly shot happens, I'm like, there's Han. Yeah. It's a movie
0: <laughs> on wheels right here. <laughs> People think of this as just a straight comedy, but, like, it is easy to see that sort of sociopolitical commentary here in the film. When you think of, like, the 60s, Japan was starting to really see serious economic growth very quickly. Moving
2: towards the the infamous bubble period. This was one of those occasions we actually all got together as a podcasting family to watch the movie. Mm -hmm. And one of those things that we noticed, like, after kind of the somberness of Godzilla 54, there's a real, hey, look, this is Mad Men era Japan. This is swinging Tokyo. People are, are dressed up with press suits. But, like, apartments have, like, records on display. The world is breathing again with Godzilla being gone, comma, the metaphor of getting past the war.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's maybe a little bit of cynicism to it that is maybe, and I've seen some interviews kind of suggest this as well, Honda is maybe commenting a little bit on the process of the film and being forced to lighten it up for the children. There's a sort of cynicism here where everything is swinging and happy and fun, but it's also, it's a little empty, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've got the Pacific Pharmaceuticals is more interested in their image than their product, mm-hmm. which is just, you know, it's, it's, it's good satire, folks.
1: Yeah let's all talk a bit about uh, Akira Ifukube's
2: score. Yes. yes. So the return the return of the great Akira Ifukube, uh, especially again after the 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 Journeyman score of the last film. I mean it's striking from the minute Godzilla bursts out of that uh out of that, that iceberg, there it is, the theme again, a theme we haven't heard since 1954 and that we'll end up hearing again and again ever after.
1: It's really great to hear his music again in this film. Again, we'll touch more base on the American cut. But it's very unfortunate that the American cut does not
2: include. yeah.
1: It's great, great score. Well, I'll
2: put it this way. Here's the thing. Ifukube's score in this is iconic. It's strong. It's so good. But, again, that covert nastiness when it comes to America sorting through their feelings about Japan. The Americans thought that Ifukube's score, which is iconic, was quote-unquote too oriental.
0: Wow. Yep. I don't even... It's such a bummer reading that now because, like, it's—I mean—it's iconic, as you say. It's this mm-hmm. amazing, incredible, powerful score, yeah. And you read—you read quotes like that, and it's just—it's mm-hmm. like
2: how—it's how—it's lo- how? low key the way, o- o- way the American monster fandom has always, even the ones who like it. It's like all those trashy Godzilla movies, those trashy Japanese mo- uh, uh, monster movies, mm-hmm. and it's like it—it—it—it—it—it it, 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 it just it bores through my soul because, like, Ifukube's score is so good. I believe they use excerpts. Some of the, the excerpts in, in Shin Godzilla are cuts from King Kong versus Godzilla. So, of course, Akira Ifukube is, you know, the the sound of Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And the sights of Godzilla again, the old man himself, it's Eiji Tsuburaya, the master mm-hmm. of craft, the father of Tokusatsu. Yeah. Eiji uh, having long been inspired by King Kong, uh, Tsuburaya jumped at the chance to work on this film, postponing work on a planned fairy tale movie, Princess Kaguya, to do this movie. Uh, again, I can't underscore the fact that, like, King Kong is a formative film to these tokusatsu pioneers. Again, it's this—it's it's, it's, you know, it's like it's like an American comic where everything's like, hey, you get to write Batman finally, you know? And the fact that they went to it with that kind of aplomb. Tsuburaya's model work, of course, exceptional. And then, of course, the, there's the suits. Let's be honest, so we are going to start talking about the King Kong suit, and yes, you know what, I will give you that, though, to people who do kind of have their knocks. One of our new faces is Mr. Uh, uh, Shoichi Hirose, who plays the King Kong himself. I believe the, they even mentioned there are two different suits. There's a version of the suit with kind of poles to give it the extended uh, ape-like arms, and then the suit with, like, just actual regular gloved arms for the actual action. The
0: way I saw it described in Steve Rifle's book was there was one suit that allowed him to— Hold and throw boulders over his head, mm-hmm. and
2: one suit that allowed him to pound his chest. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, you know, again, let's. Uh, the, here's the thing: they did try very hard to to do a suit, Mission King Kong. But that being said, you know, even as a gigantic Toku booster and Godzilla booster and Tsuburaya booster, I'll admit, yeah, I mean, the, the 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 King Kong suit is maybe one of the things that people kind of rightfully needle this movie for. But you know, the attempt was there. Shoichi Hirose, who is who plays King Kong, actually had to be sewn into the suit. Good Lord. <laughs> they, you know, so, so again, again, that is the making of a horror
0: movie, yeah, right? Again,
2: we're, here we are again, people talk about these being Japanese cheapos, but so they, to again, Super I really wanted to, to really kind of envelop his craft and it's like, you know, if there's a zipper, you'll see the zipper. So if we sew them in though, yeah. that'll be a little more seamless, which of course led to another bout of suffering for a suitmation actor, long periods of confinement within it. Again, another case where the suit is a kind of prison for a suit actor. Yeah. And another, what's becoming a motif in this, uh, in this uh, podcast, sweat. Uh, here's another anecdote from Mr. Hirose. Sweat came pouring out like a flood and it got into my eyes too. When it came out, I was pale all over. Oh. I, I think that's literally, he's talking about the, the scene after yeah. Kong falls asleep on Faroe Island, after they do their their, their native song and, and have him drink the berry juice. Um, Kong does flutter and fall asleep when they get him out, when they extract him from that thing, it's a horror show. Yeah, Um, I
0: believe it. And that that quote comes from Guy Tucker uh, in Age of Gods, a history of Japanese fantasy film. Guy Tucker, also someone we have quoted on this podcast before.
2: Yeah, yeah. On the other side, like I said, the King Kong suit, a bit folk, a bit critical of. But uh, here again, this is what's quickly becoming a a very important part of the show, charting the suits. This is suit number three. This is King Ogozi. This is the suit uh the 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 third godzilla suit ever um and uh again subarai are really going for it we one of those things we talked about in the because it's an evolution of these suits an evolution of playing the part of godzilla um shodai godzi largely immobile but iconic uh yakushu godzi Slimmed down, first suit made to accommodate fighting, but really kind of loses a lot of the outline and the power of it. Yeah. King Godzi. This is one of those suits, uh, especially in Japan, like Japanese toku nerds of a certain age like Kyogoji is like one of the one of the ones that they that they have a very hard emotional attachment to. Again, he's more flexible than Shodai Godzi from the first one, but he has the mass and the bulk back that he lost in yeah. uh, Godzilla raids again. They
0: figured out how to do both. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. There's also kind of a move towards him looking more Saurian. He's like maybe arguably for a long time one of the most dinosaurian Godzilla suits. Yeah. The head shape is very much like Closer to, to, there's, there's something both like, like a dinosaur, almost like a crocodile in the head shape, yeah. um, the eye placement of it. Again, he, he cut, he cuts a silhouette that's unlike any Godzilla suit after. Then the funny thing is, it's also a, so striking, but also almost a done in one suit because the next suit really codifies the look of the character and a lot of the King of Godzilla stuff kind of kind of lays dormant again, uh, arguably, into the 2000s. Now, that being said, the suit is just a part of what made this so special. As noted earlier, a little bit of a philosophical difference with Ishiro Honda. Toho was uh, looking to move in a lighter direction. Uh, and, uh, you know, so is Subaraya, which can make sense, all things considered. In full agreement with Toho's intentions, he took up the monster action in a more comedic direction to match the script. He allowed the actors to choreograph their own fights. Um, and apparently these fights are largely based on the moves of uh, contemporary Japanese wrestling. I mean, this is the area of the Japanese wrestling alliance of Rikidozan Toyonobori, who is actually cited in Famous Monsters of Filmland, number 267. Toyonobori is actually mentioned as a specific inspiration for these fights. Yeah,
0: it is worth noting taking that detail with a grain of salt, though, because uh, Famous Monsters of Filmland is also where the, uh, apparently the rumor of the alternate Japanese ending
1: started. You
2: know what? That is fair.
1: You know what? Why don't we dive into that tiny bit?
2: <laughs> you now it's the time to mention <laughs> It's time to mention it. All right. The great specter of this movie, the great factoid that keeps needing to be debunked time after time after time. To
1: again. this day, yeah. I had to tell someone recently <laughs> about this
2: one. Set the scene, Famous Monsters of Filmland. Uh, uh, Kaiju fans, you might not be aware of this, but Famous Monsters of Filmland was the premier monster magazine in the States of the time, You know, uh, run by the famous Forrest J. Ackerman, one of the first... Uh, one of the first turbo nerds yeah. of science fiction. <laughs> uh, uh, 4E, 4E, one of the owners of the, the greatest collections of sci memorabilia, attendee of Worldcon, the very first science fiction convention, one of the first cosplayers. But one of the things in his magazine, a little factoid that 4E dropped in Famous Monsters of Film, man, is the idea that there are two endings to this movie a Japanese ending where Godzilla wins, and an American ending where King Kong wins. It's but, not... full stop. There was never an alternate ending. As we mentioned a little bit earlier, Godzilla's still a relatively new monster even. Again, he's a wrestling parlance. He's not quite over enough (laughs) to even consider putting over Kong. Kong's still the vet. And again, you've heard the way the Japanese talk about Kong. There was no thought of anything. But even the Japanese press release mentions King Kong always being the victor. But Forey, you know, add a little bit of spike. Again, Forey's the guy who's who said he invented the term sci-fi when he saw a stereo that said hi-fi. So in a very <laughs> in a very Stanley-ish move, he can't throw that out there. And it is a factoid that persists to this very day.
1: I get why everyone would think this is true. It kind of sort of makes some sort of sense, especially if you never Never saw the Japanese cut of the film. Mm-hmm. I get it. I understand where your me- where the mentality comes from, and especially
2: if you're viewing it now, where Godzilla is a monster in equal footing with King Kong. It
1: has big
0: trivia fact energy. Like it just seems right. like
1: something that is a trivia fact. Like yep. it sounds really cool if you mention it. Yeah, and also
0: it for a long time couldn't be disproved in America because you could,
1: it was just not possible to get a Japanese cut of the film. But let's be clear. There is no alternate ending cut in which Godzilla wins.
2: Go, go Godzilla fans. If there's anything you take away from this show, from this episode forward, we blame this responsibly on you. Please let folk know there is no alternate ending to this movie. Set the record straight. Set the record straight,
1: yeah. So, two particular longtime dreams of Subaraya did come true in this film. One. A, ju- a sequence of vibe involving a giant octopus. Mm-hmm. Godzilla himself was at one point conceived to be an octopus like creature. The sequence is problematic due to the use of four live octopi for filming, and it takes place in a deeply problematic segment of the film. Some
2: capital P problematics, my woke friends. Involving
1: yeah. light skinned Japanese actors playing native characters in brownface.
2: Native, there's in quotes because they're not.
0: Yeah, they're not they're not they're a real they're, tribe or anything. They're,
2: they're from just... yeah, they're they're the Faroe Island natives. Yeah. But I mean, here's the thing: we you know again, we talk about colonialization fiction mm-hmm. from time to time. It is what it is. It doesn't make it okay, but it is a part of it. But real talk, everyone there has never been a good depiction of natives in a King Kong movie. <laughs> including current day. Including, including Skull Island. Island. Skull Island is arguably the least bad version of it, but they don't mean, it, they don't mean it's good, babies. <laughs> but that's the other
0: thing, too, is I, I I think it's important not to excuse this as just, like, oh, it was a part of the time, because, like, the same way that the three of us know what's wrong in Skull Island, like, yeah. people at the time knew it was wrong, yeah. and they did it anyway. It's just... It's an unfortunate fact. Yeah.
2: yeah. And here's the thing too. It's just, it's what was in the zeitgeist at the time. You can imagine, yeah. you can imagine the gags getting a native chief and to be surprised at the magic of a radio. Yeah. Cigarette gags. Sexy ladies. Yeah.
1: Even the, the, the member of a, of a similar tribe is kind of helping out mm-hmm. our two leads. Mm-hmm. It's Friday. A, Friday, yeah. It's, it's very it's, problematic. It's all there.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Thank, thank, thanks again, Colonialism. Did a solid oof. The the
0: greatest villain in the history of Godzilla is not King Ghidorah, but Colonialism. <laughs> and I said that like a jokey line, but it's true.
2: Very true. <laughs> On, again, honestly, here's the thing. It's a silly movie. It's a fun movie, but there, there is some truth to that. Yeah. That being said, uh, one other one of those weird things. Uh, apparently, four octopuses, three Set Free, the fourth eaten. Was it, by, was it Honda who had it for dinner? Uh, it was uh, according it was to all the sources
0: I've seen. It was Subaraya. Subaraya the octopus for dinner, and all four did not have a great time on set. Let's say um,
2: there's no good way to yeah. wrangle an octopus in a movie like this. You
0: can kind of read sources, and they sort of gloss over. They say, "Oh, the octopus was uh, had warm wind." Some places say warm wind blown at the octopuses. Others say hot air shot at the octopus. I have to assume it's the more harsh of the two descriptions. They so, abused an octopus yeah, to make this but movie. Or
2: even. in an age back when sci-fi movies would glue scales and fins onto lizards and let them fight and call it good. That being said, one little weird relic of this, though. In the aforementioned Kong of Skull Island, Kong does fight. Instead of a Tyrannosaur, like King Kong traditionally fights, like he did in the 30s and in the yeah. uh, Peter Jackson movie, he does fight a big octopus. That's true. And I couldn't help but think sitting in that theater, it's like, I bet that's a nod, especially considering the larger cosmology of the monster verse. Yeah.
0: I would agree. Another dream of Super Eyes that came true in this movie was the use of stop motion. Like in Hey, God- hey yeah. finally. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. <Yes. laughs> the king of special
2: effects methods. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like Godzilla 1954, Super had originally wanted to shoot this film in stop motion. And also like Godzilla 1954. It was deemed just too time-consuming and expensive. However, a few small stop-motion segments were produced for the film, including the memorable moments created by I, I have in the script here cinematographer Koichi Takano. I should note he was he's not the credited cinematographer on this film, but he is a cinematographer. Who worked on this film and created this stop motion effect?
2: When Godzilla that little, jump kicks. That little drunk jump kick, yes. Yeah, so oh, had, yeah. yeah. He uses the yeah. tail, he braces his tail like a kangaroo. Yeah, yeah. That is a moment that Strike's like, oh, hey, look at stop motion. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: So, uh, found it. I guess Subarai didn't do it because uh, Koichi Tanako did. I, but uh, I, I think it was like far bad. I think it was at Subarai's direction. So. Okay.
1: That's kind of hilarious to me, is the yeah. idea that Subarai, like X amount of years later, went. Come on. Yeah. Mm. Just Come for a little bit.
0: Just for a little bit. Just, just a like, taste. Guys. <laughs> please. Yeah. Just like two seconds. Please.
2: <laughs> Again, it's this funny thing, this tug of war between tone, serious versus comical, but this kind of family-friendly, comical tone not only sets the stage for further Godzilla projects, it kind of sets the stage for Eiji Tsuburaya's future projects because uh, he will eventually become the father of television's tokusatsu and a certain silver and red giant that, I'm sure we'll find an excuse to talk about in due time.
0: Yeah, I wonder if there's like a, a character that shows up in Godzilla that's like maybe sort of like that character ever. Huh, <laughs> I wonder if there is.
2: <laughs> I wonder. Well, yeah, we'll hmm. find out, I, I guess. guess. I guess so. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Stick with us, intrepid viewers.
1: <laughs> but when we talk of the three here in the room, there is one of us who sat through oh, the American cut recently. I, I, guess, true.
2: I guess this is this is on me. Well, here's the thing. I wanted to make it a point to do this because – For the longest time, thanks to legalities, the only legal way to watch King Kong versus Godzilla was the universal cut, the American cut of this film. Up until this very day, what we would say, what we'd probably have to say to you, gentle viewer, is the only way you can on the level watch this movie is the compromised version. But I am excited to say that with the advent of the new Criterion Collection, after a lot of wrangling, America will finally legitimately get to see the proper cut of King Kong versus Godzilla. Now, it was a long path to get there. When John Beck brought the film back to America, he subjected it to the standard Godzilla treatment. Again, localization as it goes. He hired another team of writers to localize the dialogue for the dub. He cut out as much Japanese actors as he could. Weirdly enough, for someone who considered himself a big Godzilla fan, because it literally was never at, The blockbusters and the five and dimes I was able to rent videos from, I never got to see King Kong vs. Godzilla as a kid. I finally got to see it. And yes, it is a straight. Here's the thing it's a perfectly watchable version of King Kong vs. Godzilla, and it does kind of up. It does earn the movie's reputation as cinema cheese.
1: Well, I mean, like, and I've told this to you a couple times, Victor. I did see this cut on Disney Channel way back when. Mm -hmm. And this was my first official Godzilla film of any kind, Mm -hmm. you know, so. Uh, As a kid, I liked it, Yeah, but you know, I liked a lot of dumb things as a child.
2: It is a deeply silly movie, but that being said, I do feel like a lot of this movie's uh, reputation of being so bad it's good and all those other superlatives come from this movie becoming a bit of a disjointed mess. One of the things they do, they add U.N. news broadcasters to give it away, a Caucasian newscaster. To their credit, there is also a foreign correspondent who is a Japanese-American actor who plays the Japanese correspondent. They actually use footage of a satellite, I believe, from the Mysterians to be the U.N. satellite that they keep cutting back and forward to. Um, So they do cut to these moments. A weird hiccup is they screw up the name of one of the cities in the dub that they don't screw up in the, uh, the American footage. The dubbers keep calling it Hokkaido or Hokkaido and like the Japanese-American broadcaster does in fact say Hokkaido. It's really weird. Cool. On the flip side, again, for, for people who kind of enjoy these little idiosyncrasies, there is a whole extended sequence in the original Japanese version. Again, it gives it that international feel. Even in the Japanese version, there's a long protracted sequence on a submarine with a bunch of Caucasian uh, uh, naval officers and, and important people. Yeah. But that's it's a funny thing. We talk about Godzilla being the perfect Americanization of the name Gojira. It's really funny in the Japanese cut, when they realize the monster attacking, you hear very Caucasian actors say, "It's Gojira." Yeah, <laughs> in that way that still irritates me as an adult. <laughs> oh. Well,
0: because they're they're very Caucasian and they're also doing the thing of like American actors, and you see this in like I you see this on British sitcoms, mm-hmm. you see this in Japanese movies, mm-hmm. where like you can tell the direction they were given was to sound as American as possible. Yeah. and, and <laughs> so actually, it's like it really yeah. heightens the effect.
2: Well, me and Justin, being old hat toku nerds, have seen plenty of cases where an American expat has been given the instruction, keep it simple, keep it sounding the way a Japanese person would think an American sounds. So it's very simple English that a Japanese person can more or less parse and also spoken in a way that they would expect a white person to talk. Mm-hmm. There are little bits of this that do make it in the American cut. But again, it's so baffling of uh, a really particularly irritating thing is they introduced an American uh, paleontological scientist trying to explain the monsters. Here's a weird hiccup. When Godzilla comes out of the iceberg, everyone knows who Godzilla is. The people on the submarine, the people in the helicopters know who Godzilla is. But when they cut back to the U.N. Uh, newscaster and the scientist... They act like Godzilla has been revived for the very first time since the prehistoric period. Interesting. Which is funny because this movie actually does a very good job of picking up from Godzilla raids again. Yeah. He is exactly where we left the monster in that movie. But here it's like, "Oh, oh the, the Godzilla, he's been he's been erased." Godzilla being a tiny brain monster versus a thinking monster, King Kong. <laughs> Literally again, basically paraphrasing dialogue from this movie, uh basically he actually said that. He sure is shooting did my dude. He literally called Godzilla a small brained monster, where he says Godzilla, whereas Kong was a thinking uh, g- a monster with a larger brain. It, was, it was Kaiju Phrenology. Very strange. Yeah. Again, it's it's really strange. They, they pepper it with extra special effect shots. When Godzilla and Kong fall into the water, there is a bit of a tremor in the Japanese cut, but the Americans, in a weirdly American move, go, not big enough. So yeah. they add a, an earthquake, also from, I believe, the Mysterians, where it's just a whole village being sunken to really add some spice to it. In short, Scenes are rearranged, character motivations are chopped, things that make sense stop making sense. There's a weird running gag about someone having corns on their feet that make them uh, detect monsters. Watch it as an artifact if you have to, especially because once upon a time it was the only way you could, but soon enough, please stick with the Japanese cut of this film. Agreed. Yes. It's an extra breath of fresh air after raids again. A+, watch it when you can, folks. It's, it's, It's a good one.
0: We also didn't really talk about this, but it's fitting that this is the first Godzilla movie in color because the colors are very, very bright and big, and it's just sort of visually interesting to look at. That mean, I mean, I mean, Tohoscope. Yeah, that Seriously. telescope. That lush telescope. telescope.
2: Yeah, But again, and again, it's apt, right? Here's the It's moving Godzilla into this brand new age, somber and serious and contemplative Godzilla is in black and white, but this brand new sci-fi mod Godzilla is in yeah. big, bold, booming color. And I know Honda kind of regret it and a lot of folks kind of regret it behind the scenes but you know what I love this era of Godzilla I yeah. I love this kind of big brassy you know family friendly like Godzilla it is it is legitimately one of my favorite eras in in, in, the, in the in the in the character's history and uh, I'm looking forward to going through the rest of it with you two folks
0: yeah and we'll get to another classic of that at our next month when we talk about Godzilla versus Mothra or
2: <sighs> Godzilla versus The Thing See you then.
0: Go Go Godzilla is a production of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GoGoGodzillaPod. And you can email us at GoGoGodzillaPod at gmail.com. You can find me personally at VeryCoolEmily everywhere you search on the internet.
1: You can find me on Twitter at VicPrefecto. You can find me on Twitter at JustKizan, Instagram at JustinQuiz. I also co-host the uh, Nothing New podcast with Andrew Lindy on the same network. And also uh, you can check out my uh, interviews on ScreenRant.com.